0: to have you here at the Movement Church. Again, if it's your first time, thank you so much for joining us here. My name is Megan. My husband, Pastor Kerry, and I are the lead pastors here at the Movement Church. For those of you who are visiting, I thought I'd give a little introduction and actually let you know that today, Pastor Kerry is actually preaching for one of our pastors in Tahunga, California. Tonga. It's LA County. I don't know what else to tell you about it, but that's where he is right now preaching the word for one of our dear friends, one of our pastors. And so we were so honored to get to do that and send him there. So I get to be with you today at the Movement Church, and I'm excited about that. Hope you're excited too. We're picking up in week four of our series, Shake It Off. And I don't know if you've been here for the other three weeks, but can I just tell you, if you missed any of them, you have got to go on the website and podcast those messages. Because Pastor Kerry brought pure gold. I mean, people pay for this kind of information on how to navigate the ups and downs of all kinds of different relationships. And if you weren't here, can I challenge you to go back and listen to that as he unpacked communication and uh, unrealistic expectations last week. Anybody recognize and deal with that in your life? It was phenomenal. But today I get to be here with you and I get to unpack the title of today's message, Shake Off Unforgiveness. Everybody say shake it off. Okay, now do a little shake it off with me. Shake it off. Shake it off. Just shake it off, right? Shake it off. Shake off unforgiveness is the title of the message, and I'm excited to dive into what God has for us today. So to get us started, can we just pray for just a moment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Dear Jesus, I just come before you right now, God, and I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you that you brought every single person here today that was intended to be here for this message. God, I thank you that you have something that you want to speak to each of us individually. God, you know the different circumstances and situations that every one of us walked in this room carrying. And today, God, would you speak to our heart? Would you challenge our thought process? And would you stretch us to become all that you've created us to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen amen. So listen, I don't know about you, but the weather this week is making me crazy. Anybody? I got like hands raised in the back. That is an amen. I don't know about you, and I know that, um, I'm a woman, and so sometimes women think this way. I feel like, men, you could probably relate with me just a little bit, but I just want there to be a breeze, and I want to light a pumpkin candle, and I want to have my house be cool enough that I can put a blanket on my lap, and I want it to smell like and feel like fall, but no, we are still in the heat, the blazing heat of summer. And I think it's totally unfair because I moved from Arizona four and a half years ago, and I did not move to Southern California to deal with this. However, I'm going to try really hard not to complain, but there is a point to my story here. Um, Our house, in particular, does not have air conditioning. We live down closer to the coast, and whoever built those homes in the 1980s or whatever just did not see that there would be a need for air conditioning. They couldn't have anticipated this. And my house as my husband would say, is a hundred in hell. And I can say hell in church because we talk about hell in church. It's okay. It's a hot place. You don't want to go there. Just like my house, it is a hot place and you do not want to go there right now. It is so stinking hot. And so we have for the past few weeks and really truthfully the past few months had to spend almost every single day going to the pool. We come home, we walk into the sweltering house, we start sweating in our own home, and we're like, no, we are not gonna do this any longer. Throw on our swimsuits, pack up the bag, and grab the pink flamingo, and head to the community pool, right? Because it is so stinking hot, and we have to find a way to cool down. Can anybody relate? Well, so I brought my giant pink flamingo up here today, because I like props. (laughs) Before I jump into this message, I got started a little too early next time. We encourage you to check in on Facebook and Instagram. Lots of times when I'm preaching, people post pictures. And I'm always spitting or making ugly faces because I never stop moving. So I'm going to give you a chance right now. You want a picture of the pink flamingo? Right now, this is a good picture. So if you're going to post something on social media and tell your friends to check out the Movement Church, let's try to make it look good, okay? So here we go, ready? I'm telling something amazing. With the pink flamingo. Okay, one more smile. Okay, enough of that. But check in and tell your friends to check out the Movement Church. Anyhow, we've been going to the pool because it has been so stinking hot. And I think this has a lot to do with our own personal lives. And I'm gonna break it down for you. You see, I think that when the heat gets turned up in our life, when the heat is on, when people have hurt us, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. When we're offended. How many of you ever been offended? Yeah. When we're offended. When things don't go our way. When somebody says something that they just should not have opened their mouth and said, right? When changes happen that we can't control and we look for someone or something to blame. When the heat is on in our lives, when we are frustrated and offended or feeling just unforgiving towards a spouse or a boss, or maybe it's our children, or maybe kids, teenagers, maybe it's your parents, whoever it is, when the heat is on in our life, we have a tendency to run to the proverbial pool of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness and jump right in grab our pink flamingo, jump into that pool, and we are going to lounge there. We're going to hang out in the pool of unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense, and we are just going to soak it in because that husband said the wrong thing for the last time, or my wife said the wrong thing for the last time we go and we run and we jump in that pool of bitterness and offense and unforgiveness and we just wallow there because we all know what it feels like to be hurt. We know what it feels like when words penetrate our hearts, when a spouse says something that we were just waiting for them to say because we had this expectation that they're going to be just like the last marriage or when a child does something that we say, I just can't handle this anymore. I can't continue this way. I am so irritated with you. And that, that thing wells up inside of us of just frustration, bitterness, offense, unforgiveness. Maybe for you, young person, it was a word that was spoken to you, maybe by a parent, maybe a teacher, a coach, a friend. I don't know, but it was something that was spoken that you just can't get rid of. And you hang out lounging in the pink flamingo in that pool, thinking over those words that were said, thinking over that experience you had, expecting every other experience to be the same. For some of us, this has just become our routine. Something happens, That triggers our memory, triggers a bad experience, and immediately we grab our pink flamingo, and we run and we jump in that pool, and we lounge in our offense, and we rehearse the hurts, and we rehearse the pain, and we get so consumed thinking about somebody else's life that as we're lounging in that pool of unforgiveness and bitterness and contempt and offense, we're just sitting there thinking so much about that other person who they are, what they said, how they hurt us. And we become so obsessed with somebody else's life that that's all we can think about. And then we get on Facebook and Instagram and we begin to stalk their life because that's all we can think about. And we justify it saying, I'm gonna look and see who else they might be about to hurt. And we gather up this ammo that justifies us lounging in our pink flamingo of the pool of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness. Can anyone in this room relate? (sighs) so often we walk through experiences in life that have us running straight towards that pool, that proverbial pool of unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense. You know, the problem with lounging in that pool is the same problem that I face when we run to the pool to deal with the heat. If I lounge in the pool for too long, I'm a redhead, naturally. I don't know what color it is today, but... (laughs) naturally. And I've got freckles. So you can only imagine what happens to me in the sun. Anybody? I fry like a lobster fry. I get red. When I lounge too long in the pool, I am going to get sunburned. And you are too. It doesn't matter how tan you get. You know it hurts. You know it hurts. Because when we lounge in the pool for too long and we hang out in the sunshine, the only person who actually gets hurt is us. Except for my family, who has to hear me whine and complain about the stupid sunburn, right? And the same thing goes for unforgiveness. The same thing goes for bitterness and holding on to an offense. So many times we think we're holding on to it because it's going to hurt that other person, but it doesn't hurt anybody but you. I heard it said that forgiveness, unforgiveness, is kind of like taking rat poison, poison ingesting rat poison, and waiting for the rat to die. That is truly unforgiveness. We think that by holding on to it, we're doing so much good, but really the only person we're hurting is us. What else happens to you when you lounge in the pool for too long? What happens to your fingers and your toes? They get all shrivelly, don't they? They get all shriveled up. It actually changes your appearance. When my kids have been in the pool too long, their fingers and their toes are all shriveled up and their lips are purple because they've been sitting in the pool for far too long. It actually changes your appearance. And I love what Dr. Caroline Leaf, who's a doctor of neuroscience, she says about this. She says, you cannot control the events or circumstances of your life. It's good to know, right? You cannot control the events or circumstances of your life, but you can control your reactions. And controlling these reactions is the difference between healthy minds and bodies and sick minds and bodies. This is important to know, you guys. Uh, This stat is from the American Medical Association, and it says this. It's going to blow your minds. 75 to 98% of mental and physical illness comes from one's thought life. Can I say that again? Because that just blows my mind. 75 to 98% of physical and mental illness comes from one's thought life. That means that the thoughts we think and the feelings we lounge in actually matter. It can change our actual appearance. It can change our actual health. When we fester too long on offenses, when we fester too long on the bitterness and the unforgiveness of that situation that we walked through or that person that hurt us, no matter what the degree of hurt was, when we stay there for too long, it can change our physical appearance. It can change the health of our physical bodies. It actually makes a difference. You know, the other thing about our pool and our community pool, I don't know what they put in it, okay? I don't know about your pool. Our pool is a saltwater pool, but there is something else in that pool. And every time my kids go swimming, they come home and they complain about their eyes burning. And they're like, my eyes, my eyes. And, you know, as any good parent would say, I say, don't open your eyes in the pool, right? (sighs) Hello, that solves the problem. Don't open your eyes in the stinking swimming pool and you'll quit complaining about your eyes, But the other day, Pastor Kerry and I decided to go swimming with the kids, and we played, and we had fun, and we were in the pool for hours, and we all got home, and the kids started whining and complaining about their eyes. My eyes, mom, my eyes are burning. I can't see, and I was about to respond with my, well, don't open your eyes in the pool, and then I thought, my eyes are burning. I can't see. I'm like, what? What is in that pool? And I began finally to get worried about this situation. And Pastor Carrie and I were like, What is going on? There was like a film over our eyes. We could not see. I am not kidding you guys. We could not read words on a page. We couldn't even watch TV that night. We had to go to bed. There was nothing we could do because we could not see clearly because the chlorine was burning our eyes. And the same thing happens. When we lounge too long in the pool of offense and unforgiveness and bitterness, it clouds our perception of everything and everyone. Every situation we're in, you cannot trust your own opinions, your own analysis of the situation, your own perceptions about that person if you've been lounging in the pool of unforgiveness and offense because you can't see clearly. It changes the way we see things. And it also affects other people. You know, when I picked up my family the other day from swimming at the pool, they took their showers, they wrapped up in their towels, they jumped in the car. We went home, went inside, did our thing. And that night we decided to go out to dinner at the Schwack. If you haven't been to the Schwack, go. You're welcome. It's good food. We like good food. So we jump in our car to go to the Schwack. Mind you, we have gotten dressed and ready for the evening. And we get in the car and I sit down in the front seat and all of a sudden, my bum is so wet. And I'm like, really, I did not just pee my pants. What is happening here? And I'm like, "Uh, oh, and my girls are in the backseat going, oh, mom, mom, we're all wet. And I was like, "Uh, oh, dang it. Even though you wrapped up that towel around you, it still got my seat soaking wet. And not only that, this car stinks like mildew. Uh! Oh, I do not even want to be in here right now. Because you see, when we lounge in the pool of bitterness, offense, and unforgiveness, eventually it will affect other people in our world, even if we try to cover it up. Even if we try to cover it up, eventually it will affect other people in our world. And see, the Bible has something to say about this, and that's where we're going to focus today. It says in Ephesians 4 verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. What's it saying? Get rid of it, Bitterness, wrath, anger, get rid of it. Let it be put away from you. The next scripture in Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Listen, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up or causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. What's it saying? We have got to make sure that we rip out and deal with the root of bitterness in our life, holding on to offense, holding on to unforgiveness. It's got to be dealt with because it will mess with us. By it, many become defiled. It messes with us. And so it's saying you've got to deal with this. And it's saying every single person deserves the grace of God. The scripture gets even more real and in our face when Jesus starts talking and Jesus starts talking in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, and says this. For if you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them, letting them go, and giving up on resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I feel like that puts the pressure on. Because this is saying, if, then. For if you forgive people, husbands. Wives, children, parents, friends, employers, employees, that person down the street, the neighbor, the coworker, whoever it is. If you forgive people their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins, leaving them and letting them go, giving up on resentment, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness. And to Jesus, forgiveness was not an option. Forgiveness was imperative. Forgiveness was fact. This is what we have to do. And so I want to talk to those of you in the room for just a moment who call yourself Christ followers. If you're in the room and you're here today and you're visiting and and just checking things out and you're not sure where you stand in your faith, that's okay. This is a good place for you to be. And you get a hall pass on this one. You get to just listen and just kind of hear and observe. But if you're in the room and you call yourself a Christ follower, can I just challenge you that Jesus said we must forgive. And that is a really challenging thing to do. You know, there's a theologian as I was studying these scriptures and he was reflecting on that scripture where Jesus said, if you forgive others, then your heavenly father will forgive you. And he was reflecting on this and he said this, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear in comparison extremely trifling. So what's he saying? Once our eyes have been opened, once we've said, I have decided to follow Jesus, and we've recognized that we don't deserve grace, and we've recognized that we have so many offenses stored up that God has forgiven us from, once we recognize this, All the offenses of everybody else, they become very small, or as this says, trifling, right? But it says, if on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. Ouch. If we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of other people, it proves that we have minimized our own. Maybe... We've forgotten how much Christ saved us from. Maybe we've forgotten. You know, Jesus, when he came on the scene, Pastor Kerry talked about this last week as he was talking about managing unrealistic and unspoken expectations. He talked about how when Jesus came on the scene, he challenged everything, right? He challenged the status quo. He challenged the expectations of the disciples. He came on the scene and he said and did things that challenged people to the very core of their being. And in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, he did one of these things. He said, you've heard it said, "'You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. "'But I tell you, love your enemies "'and pray for those who persecute you.'" (sighs) That's hard work, Jesus. Let me read it to you in the message version because I think it's kind of powerful here. It says, you're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. I'm telling you to let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. (sighs) When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. (sighs) That's how we're supposed to respond, Jesus. Respond with the energies of prayer for then, guess what he says, then you are working out your true selves. Your God created selves. Hey, listen, what he's saying is when you respond in the way that I want you to respond, you're actually, instead of lounging in the pool of offense and unforgiveness and hurt, when you respond the way I've created you to respond, you're actually taking care of you which is the person who gets hurt when we hang out there. So he's saying, take care of you, and here's how I want you to respond. Pray for your enemies. Pray for them. He's saying, this is going to bring out the God-created self that he has for you and for me. And then he goes on and he says, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless of the good, the bad, the nice, and the nasty if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Ouch, right? Here's Jesus saying, what I'm saying in a word is grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives you. Stop hanging out in the pool and lounging in the pool of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. It's only hurting you. Start living the way I created you to live. Grow up. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not saying it, y'all. It's Jesus. It's hard for me, too. It's a challenge, right? This is hard work, and it doesn't seem fair, does it? It does not seem fair. I've heard forgiveness talked about as this. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. I love this definition as well. It says forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different or a better yesterday. It's kind of hard, isn't it? When we wish that things could have been different. And that situation just keeps regurgitating itself in our heart and our mind. And we just think, ah, if only they could have done things different. If only they hadn't stabbed me in the back. If only they hadn't let me down. And we lounge in this pool of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness. And we think and we dwell on the if onlys. But forgiveness is accepting the fact that i 've got to let go of the past and move forward to the future. Paul says this in the New Testament he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what 's ahead right straining towards what 's ahead the upward call of Christ there is something better for you than what you have already experienced and listen to me, everyone in this room you may be in this room and you may have been hurt beyond measure you may have been hurt so deeply that nothing could make that right but Jesus is the healer of all of our pains he is the redeemer of all of our stories and he can set things right and it is hard to think about forgiving the person that might have inflicted that kind of pain but that is the only place to find freedom and the only place to move into the future that God created you for I want to jump real quickly in the end here into another passage that Jesus uh, experienced he had with his disciples it's found in Luke chapter 17 verse 3 through 6 And Jesus is walking along with his disciples in this situation and he's teaching them. And he's talking actually about bitterness, offense, and unforgiveness. And he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Some of you married couples in the room are like, seven times? Really? In one day? Are you kidding me? Am I the only one in the room? Am I the only one who thinks this way? I'm the only sinner. I am the one who needs to repent right now, because I struggle with this idea of forgiveness. I'm thinking one time, maybe. Seven times, are you kidding me, Jesus? And I think the disciples kind of felt the same way, because the next thing that they said is they said to the Lord, increase our faith. Let me tell you what they were saying. Jesus, Jesus, That doesn't make sense, and I'm sorry, but if somebody keeps hurting me and keeps offending me and keeps treating me poorly, then why do I have to keep forgiving them? Why? Help me increase my faith because obviously I am not quite there with you, and so Jesus says this to the apostles. If you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In the King James Version, it actually refers to the mulberry tree as a sycamine tree. Mulberry trees looked like sycamine trees, and that's where the translation happened. But there's something really fascinating about this picture that Jesus gave to the disciples. They say to Jesus, increase our faith. Help us understand this. And so Jesus says, okay, let me do that. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, You could say to this sycamine tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Do you know why he used the picture of the sycamine tree? There was so much intentionality to everything Jesus did. Let me tell you about the sycamine tree. It grew in the Middle East rampantly. Everyone who lived in the Middle East during that time knew the reference of the sycamine tree. They knew exactly what it was. They knew that this tree had a root system that went so deep into the ground that it was almost next to impossible to kill. You could hardly, you could hardly get it out at its root system because the roots went so deep into a soil and to the water underneath the ground that this tree was next to impossible to kill. Jesus is saying, I get it. I know that bitterness, offense, unforgiveness is next to impossible to kill. I know that it's deeply rooted in our hearts and lives, but if you have faith, You can speak to even that and say, be removed and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. What's he saying? I know the roots run deep. I know the things that you're dealing with and that you're feeling and you're trying to wrap your heads around. I know it's intense, but it has to be done. Uh, Proverbs, it says this skipping ahead in 423, Proverbs 423, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Listen, the roots of bitterness and unforgiveness go down deep into the human soul and they're fed by a fence that lies hidden in the soil of the heart. But the scripture tells us we have to guard our heart above all else because f- from it comes the whole course of our life. So Jesus is giving this picture of this tree with roots that run deep that's next to impossible to deal with. With and saying it can be done and it must be done because we have got to get rid of those roots of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness in our life because they go deep into the soil of our heart and the heart sets the course for our life and God wants your life to be on course moving in the right direction to accomplish the thing that he has for you to accomplish and the roots of bitterness and offense and unforgiveness they will hold you back every single time you know that tree also bears the fruit And I thought this was so interesting. It bears this fruit that resembles a fig, but it doesn't taste like a fig. Only the wealthy people of that day and age could afford to buy the figs from the mulberry trees. So the poor people would take the figs from the sycamine tree, but these figs were bitter and sour to the taste, and you couldn't eat them in one setting. So they would take little tiny bites nibble on it, set it down, walk away, do life, come back, nibble on it some more, set it down, walk away, come back, nibble on it some more until they finished it because it was so sour and bitter to the taste. Isn't this just like us though? We just nibble on bitterness and offense. We nibble on that situation, that thing that was said, that, situ- that situation we walked through, whether it's with a spouse, a friend, an employer, a child, a parent. And we just nibble on it and we set it down and we walk away for a little bit down memory lane just thinking about that experience and all that happened to us and why it wasn't fair and why it wasn't right and why that person deserves something worse than what they got. And then we return and we nibble on it a little bit more and all the while making sour faces because the inside of our heart and our mind and our spirit is becoming sour, It's becoming sour. It's just like we talked about being in the pool and the fingers getting all shriveled up because bitterness, offense, and unforgiveness, it affects us. It changes us. It changes our physical appearance. It changes our mental and physical health. It changes us. And Jesus knew when he gave this picture of the tree that the disciples would know exactly what he was talking about because that fruit on the tree, when we nibble on that fruit of bitterness and offense, it changes us. It makes us sour and negative kind of people. Another thing I thought was really interesting about this was that the sycamine tree wood, everyone knew, was most commonly used for making caskets. Wow. It was most commonly used for making caskets because it could grow anywhere. It was in mad abundance. And everyone in this room can agree that no matter what your upbringing was, No matter what your past looks like, no matter what your family history is like, the roots and seeds of unforgiveness and offense and bitterness, they can grow in any and every heart, in any and every situation. But the problem with this is, is when we allow those things to grow, it will eventually rob us of our destiny and set us off course for our life. It's so interesting to me. I think Jesus, you, wow, the irony here. But that wood that he was referring to in the sycamine tree is actually used to make caskets because Jesus knew that there was some deep meaning behind holding on to bitterness and offense. And he's saying, come on, you gotta have a little bit of faith. You gotta have a little bit of faith, enough to work on forgiveness, to say to that thing, be thrown into the sea. And you know what else is interesting? The only thing that could kill that tree is salt. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that sycamine tree, be plucked up and thrown into the sea, and it will be done. Forgiveness is possible. It's possible with a little bit of faith. And why does it take faith? I think it takes faith to know that Jesus is our defender, that we don't have to hold our own, that we don't have to solve the problem, that we don't have to get even, that we don't have to hold on to the pain and the regret, that God is our defender. He's got our back, and that takes faith. Because most of the time we don't feel that way, do we? Most of the time we hold on to the bitterness and the offense and the unforgiveness and we just cling to it because it hurts so bad. But what God is saying is, I'm your defender. You don't have to do anything about this. And it just takes a little bit of faith to believe that. Proverbs twenty twenty two 22 says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. He's our defender. He's got your back. He knows your story. He knows your pain. He knows the situations that you have walked through. And he will give you the strength that is necessary to walk out forgiveness. But we've got to stop lounging over here. We've got to stop lounging over here. I want to tell you three things that we can learn from as we begin to say, okay, I get it. I get that God wants me to forgive. I get that I'm supposed to forgive, but how do I actually do this? Well, number one, the first thing is daily decide. If you're taking notes, write that down. Daily decide. It's a daily choice. It's a process that we walk through daily. Forgiving is not forgetting. It does not just, we don't just say, okay, I'll choose to forgive them and actually forget about what happened. No, we have to daily decide, God, I choose to forgive that person who hurt me so badly. I choose to forgive that person who let me down, who betrayed me. I choose to forgive the words that were spoken by that friend, by that parent, by that person who meant so much to me. I choose to forgive daily. I choose to forgive You will never forgive if you wait till you feel like it, ever. It won't happen. So daily we have to begin to choose to forgive. God, I choose to forgive. And then we begin to act towards that person. This is a hard one. Ouch. We begin to act towards that person like they've already been forgiven. Wow. So how do I do that? How do I daily decide? Well, number two is I've got to depend You cannot forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit. It is too hard to do on your own. Isaiah 41, 13 says, For I am the Lord your God, who upholds you with my right hand. Who upholds your right hand. That's your hand of action. So God's saying, I've got you. In this action, I've got you. Who says to you, do not fear. I will help you. If we're gonna choose daily to forgive, if we're gonna make that decision, we have got to, number two, depend on God. We can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. We need him. We need him. Because when I am weak, he is strong. That is how we do this. And number three, we've got to obey. And what do we obey? Well, the word of God says, pray for your enemies, for those who abuse and misuse you for those who stabbed you in the back, for those who said words that you feel like you could never forget, for those who did things to you that should have never been done. The scripture says, pray for your enemies. And as you pray, God can do something in their life that we could never do. It says, bless and do not curse them in Romans twelve fourteen. To bless means to speak well of, and to curse means to speak evil of. Listen, you cannot walk out the process of forgiveness and be a gossip. You just can't do it. You must stop repeating the offense. You've got to stop dragging people into this pool of unforgiveness and bitterness and offense and telling them all your woes. You can't forgive and be a gossip. You cannot. So we've got to obey pray for our enemies, bless and do not curse them. It's time to stop lounging here. It's time. Ephesians 4.26 says this, be angry and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Listen, I'm not telling you not to be angry. The Bible says be angry and do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's that saying? I think it's saying this, pop the pink flamingo, Don't lounge in the pool, but it's okay if you're angry. It's okay if you take a dip, right? Get in that water, cool off, get on back out again. Go sit in the shade and in the cool of the shade, dry off and let God do something in your life. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in trouble. He's our proverbial shade, our refuge and our strength. He is our very present help. And I know many of you might be sitting in the room and you're thinking, I hear that the Bible says that I'm supposed to forgive. I understand that it's not healthy for me to lounge in the pool of offense or hurt or unforgiveness. I hear it, but it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around because you don't know how badly they hurt me you don't know the thing that they did that I cannot ever forget and you're right I don't know but God does know and he is your defender and he does have a better plan for you and he wants you to be able to walk in freedom not encumbered any longer by the pains and the burdens of unforgiveness and offense and bitterness he doesn't want you held back over there in that pool he wants you to move forward in the purpose he has for you but we cannot go forward until we set our heart on the right course which means we've got to deal with the Roots of bitterness, offense, and unforgiveness. It's got to be done, but it can be done. It just takes a little bit of faith. And so I want to challenge you today that God wants to begin helping you walk out this process in your life. Whoever you are, whatever situation you are walking through, whatever name comes to your mind when we talk through this message, God wants to help you learn to forgive. But it's daily, decide, depend on His strength, and obey. His word. Let me talk to those of you in the room who are here today and you might be wrestling with this whole idea of faith. Maybe you came today just to give church a try, but you've just been wrestling with this whole idea of who God even is. And maybe you're in this room and you're saying, I I hear that and I want that, but I don't feel that I can have that kind of relationship with God because maybe you feel that you've messed up too many times. And how could you ever come to God in the way that you are now? But I've got news for you. That separation you feel from God is a real thing. The scripture tells us that sin separates us from God. And the punishment of sin is death and an eternity in hell. But the scripture also promises us that there is a redemptive plan. And that plan was executed when God said, I'm gonna send my son Jesus and he will go and he will give his life on a cross to pay the punishment for all of our sins. And you know what he did? He did that before we ever committed them. He sent Jesus for you and for me before we ever screwed up, before we ever made the stupid choices. He sent Jesus and said, I know in advance that they're going to struggle. I know that they're going to mess up. I know they're going to have a hard time, but I still want relationship with them. So I'm going to send Jesus to pay the price for those sins. And so God sent his son Jesus for you before you messed up, before you made the choices that you have made. He did it for you, knowing What was gonna happen? Because he is in the business of forgiveness. And maybe you're in the room today and you've never made a decision to surrender your life to Christ. Can I challenge you that you don't have to get perfect before you come to God? You can come to him right now, just as you are, and then start walking out the process from there on forward. But the good news is, he'll be on your side. And with him, you can do all things. You can do all things. I'm to ask everyone in the room right now to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you are here today, and that's you, and you've been running from God, and you've been questioning who God is, today I want to give you a chance to say, I surrender my life to you. And give him a chance to come in and to change things. So everyone in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you don't need to pray this out loud, but between you and God, in your own heart, if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? You say, Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I've messed up too many times. But I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for giving your life on that cross as a sacrifice for me, And today, I choose to surrender my life to you. And now everyone in this room, if that's you and you're making that decision in your own heart between you and God, would you just say these words, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.